back to the Girl Doc of Podcast. I am your host, Rachel, and today, in celebration of Pride Month, Cass and I will be interviewing Stacy and Jen, two representatives from San Diego SheFest and Pride. And Stacy currently serves as the SheFest chair and previously served as Pride's festival manager and assistant parade manager. As a San Diego native, Stacy attended San Francisco State University for both undergraduate and graduate work in English and ancient Mediterranean literature. Most of her adult life has been spent in San Francisco and Oakland, but she's returned to San Diego and is enthusiastically reacquainting herself with her hometown. She is immeasurably inspired by the San Diego's LGBTQIA community and views her volunteerism as as a tribute to the brave queer women before her, around her, and to those who will shape the future. When not volunteering, Stacy works at the ACLU of San Diego and Imperial Counties as one of two assistant directors of development with an emphasis on operations and grants. She can also be found reading, draining the world's coffee supply, delighting in her role as an extremely proud girlfriend, and hanging with the cutest dog ever. Jen currently serves as the Education and Advocacy Manager at San Diego Pride, where they manage the organization's community partnerships, education and advocacy programs, civic engagement, and international diplomacy work. As a proud queer multiracial Black femme of color, Jen works to advocate for policy to shape and change lives and is invested in the grassroots organizing and community engagement necessary to further true social justice and liberation. In addition to their role at Pride, Jen also currently serves as a secretary of the GLSC San Diego's Chapters Board of Directors and as a District Vice President for the U.S. Association of Prides. They graduated from the YPC Academy in 2017 and have been an active member of the Center's Young Professionals Council since 2015. As a writer, Jen has had two pieces published in anthologies focused on LGBTQ survivors and mental health. Prior to joining San Diego Pride, Jen worked as a librarian and archivist in San Diego, Boston, and Denver, and has over 15 years of experience as a political and community organizer and advocate for LGBTQ plus equality and reproductive justice in Colorado, Kansas, Missouri, South Dakota, and Massachusetts. They received their BA in the study of women and gender and government from Smith College and her MA in Library and Information Science from the University of Denver. We're really excited for you to learn more about San Diego Pride and SheFest. So with that being said, let's get into the episode. Today, we have two representatives, both Jen and Stacy, from Pride and SheFest in San Diego. And Cass and I are really excited to have them on today. And let's go ahead and get started. So, I think we definitely would like to have like a brief overview of Pride and SheFest. Yeah. So, uh, San Diego Pride is a year round organization. SheFest is one of our uh, many programs, but San Diego Pride is a year round organization that kind of starts and ends at the big Pride Festival and Parade in July. Uh, unlike every other city, uh, we celebrate in July instead of June. And um, yeah, so we have uh, about 30 at this point year round programs around education, advocacy. Uh, supporting LGBTQ folks through uh, helping them get entertainment contracts and so on. So we're a pretty wide-ranging organization, although most people know us for the enormous uh, parade that happens in Hillcrest in San Diego, which is, for the record, larger than Comic-Con. Not that it's a competition. (laughs) I have to throw that out there. (laughs) Mm -hmm. 
I think I've been to both the festival and Comic-Con and I will say that I think the festival is 10 times funner than Comic-Con. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> very true. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, we love Comic-Con and it is also like low-key hella queer. Yes. And yeah. also, yes, thank you. For yeah, that. <laughs> July is a lot for like nerd, for, for queer nerds like me. It's like, oh my gosh, <laughs> there's one thing and now I gotta go do this other thing. And it's like so many people. So yeah, it's a lot. And SheFest, as far as SheFest goes, if you want to talk about a lot in July, also kind of compiling onto Pride and Comic-Con, um, SheFest is actually the event that technically kicks off San Diego's Pride Week. So we always precede um, the Pride Festival and Parade. And we got started back in 2014. Our founder is a, just a, a, a regular person named Kelsey, who was kind of just like fed up by the lack of kind of like spaces and platforms for women to celebrate one another. Like Kelsey kept saying like, I see all these amazing women doing very cool things and they're not taking credit for it. They're not celebrating. And she just got really fed up with it. And she kind of put out a call to other volunteers, other like-minded folks. And that was the first time that like the SheFest planning committee came together in 2014. And that's kind of been the, the history of SheFest is that we were started by volunteers who wanted to celebrate one another. And we've just kind of kept that going now for, oof, how many years? What year is this? 2021? So seven years, seven years and counting. And we have no interest in slowing down. Yeah. So. And does SheFest plan on being anywhere else besides San Diego? I mean, we really <laughs> love celebrating queer women in San Diego. Like, come mm -hmm. on, you're both from San Diego, right? Like, we yeah, are we are. <laughs> cool, we are a very cool town full of very mm -hmm. cool things. Uh, we do enjoy like our virtual programming does help us reach out into other areas, even just remoter parts of San Diego County. Like we're a huge area and there are certain folks that just can't make it into San Diego. But mm -hmm. that's my very long way of saying probably not because yeah. Like, there's just such cool things to celebrate in San Diego. Mm -hmm. Definitely. We're, we're pretty biased, but we can totally agree with that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Very biased when it comes to San Diego. Yeah. <laughs> um, and we would love to also hear kind of like the history of Pride and how it became about and kind of just like the advocacy behind it, too. Yeah, so uh, Pride celebrations annually commemorate the anniversary of the Stonewall Riots, uh, which were uh, three-day riots and uprising in New York City in June of 1969, starting June 28th. It was in response to a, a pretty regular occurrence, which was a police raid of a gay bar. This one was the Stonewall Inn in New York, which is still actually uh, running, is now a national monument uh, officially. But it was, it was a pretty regular occurrence that police would raid these LGBTQ establishments uh, because it was illegal to be gay. It was illegal to uh, wear clothes of a different gender. However, the police decided they wanted to interpret that. It was also considered a mental illness to be lesbian, gay, bisexual, or transgender. And so serving alcohol to somebody with a mental illness was also illegal, right? So police would regularly raid these establishments, which were the only, one of the only places that LGBTQ folks could really be out and fully themselves. And so it wasn't the first time that we had fought back against police violence and police state sanctioned police violence against LGBTQ folks. It happened in, um, in California actually quite a few times in Compton's uh, in San Francisco at Cooper's Donuts in LA um, at a bunch of other places around the country. But there was something about 
Stonewall in 1969 that really kind of lit a spark. And I heard people call it like the tinderbox that uh, started a movement across the across the country and really across the world. So it, it basically launched our modern uh, LGBTQ rights movement. And um, so every year in June, we um, we commemorate that and many of these what was what are now like these like big elaborate pride celebrations and festivals and parades um, started as right a started as that fight against police brutality and started in the commemorations of in the 1970s 71 as um, protest marches right and so that is our roots. Our roots are in fighting back against police brutality and in um, really just taking to the streets to demand our liberation and equality. Boom. <laughs> um, and I'm super sappy and I love like love stories. So I'm super curious about how um, you two got involved and how you two met. Yeah. yeah, I like to tell the story because they don't actually know part of it because they were like very busy ignoring me for like the first like four, I don't know, probably four months or something like that. That's true. Like, yeah. seriously. This is a year. Yeah, okay, it was a year. There you go. Now it's truly confessed on a <laughs> recorded show. Thank you, Cass. Thank you, Rachel, for this wonderful <laughs> opportunity to get this on tape. So yes, how did we meet? So I actually, I came back to San Diego in like 2016. I had been up in the Bay Area and I was like planning on traveling. So I was using San Diego as like a home base because I had a, like a lovely dog and my parents were here. So they're like, yeah, sure. Come on back. You can use our, our you know, use the house and uh, we'll watch the dog for you while you go travel. And like, so I was mainly traveling uh, kind of all throughout 2016, but I was also back in San Diego quite a lot. And I was like sitting there kind of being like, I don't know anybody here. I have no community and I'm not really like a extrovert that's gonna go make a lot of friends. Like that's just not my jam. I am the introvert. Um, so like my friends from the Bay were like encouraging me. They're like, oh, you should like go volunteer at things, like get involved with the center, get involved with pride and like put yourself on a dating app, Stacy. It is 2016, like do it. And I was like, oh no, I'm not gonna do that. And then of course, because friends are friends, they convinced me to put myself on a dating app. So for like literally 48 hours, I put myself on a dating app. I've like created this bio, ran it by my friends, got it checked 500 times, put myself up there. The first person, literally the first person that I see on this dating app is Jen. And I'm just like, whoa, they're amazing. Oh my gosh. So of course, like my friends are like, oh, you need to message her, message her. I do after like creating this message for like 300 years drafting it. <laughs> uh, I send it and I get zero response. And like, I'm just like, you know what? screw this thing. I was like, I'm traveling anyway. I don't need to be on a dating app. I delete the whole thing. For the record, I don't remember ever reading this message. I trust that you sent it. But I don't you, state, you state your case to them later. So <laughs> I delete the, I delete the profile, delete the app. And I was like, and my friends are like, don't worry. Like, you'll be fine. Like you will survive this. It's not embarrassing, whatever. And I was like, yeah, what are the odds I would ever actually run into this person? So then, you know how my friends are also telling me to go volunteer for San Diego Pride and get involved with my community. So I go to SheFest as a walk-on volunteer. Who is the first person that, like, I really see when I walk on? Jen. <laughs> Setting up a table because they're tabling at SheFest. And I'm just did like, you Did you, you recognize them? 
Oh yeah. I was like, you've got to be kidding me. The gay gods are so cruel. I don't remember seeing her at all at She Fest that year. And she doesn't remember seeing me because I spent that entire day purposely walking around the back of her tent so that she wouldn't see me. Um, anyway, so that continued on because I was just like, I was flustered. Like whenever I was around them, I just got very, very flustered because they were very cute and like smart and intelligent and just everything. So I continued to do that, but I also continued to volunteer for Pride. And so as I continued to volunteer for Pride and she worked for Pride, it kind of became inevitable that we uh, started to get it put into rooms together. And then the rooms got smaller and went from auditoriums and parks to then like conference rooms and mm -hmm. offices. And I was just like, oh God. So eventually we did have to talk. And, and then, then I was like, oh, wow, who is this person? She's cute. And the first time I noticed you was when you were in the office and you took a lunch break and instead of actually eating food like a normal person, she went out into the courtyard that I could see directly from my office and was just reading a book. It was Jeanette Winterson. I believe it was um, Art and Lies. So you were staring at me like a big creeper? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then when you did SheFest, yeah. you were there because you were at that point, was, was like a, all the Pride staff are really great about showing up to support their programs. So they showed up to SheFest. And I don't know, we, we were, I was trying to give uh, dogs water because it was a hot day. And then you started, we're like, you were like, oh, I'll help with that. Mm -hmm. And then I think from there, we just kind of, yeah, we just kept talking, yeah. finding ways to be around one another. Yeah. And then one thing led to another. Yep. And that, so that yep. was in 2016? This was 2018, actually. So okay. it took a good, like, oh, that's two years. Yeah, it took <laughs> a good two years of it, me ignoring <laughs> them a very long time to notice me I'll just say that that's crazy how the universe kind of put that yeah. for you too <laughs> it sounds a lot like fate to me yeah, yeah. I yeah. love that story <laughs> um and then we kind of talked about it a little bit too but what do you two feel like pride and she fest represents to you folks for me so right like you know, we have like 30 different programs. SheFest is uh, absolutely, not just because my partner is the chair of it, but um, is absolutely like closest, one of the closest programs to my heart. So it really, um, you know, like the, all of the work that we do throughout the entire year at Pride and with SheFest, which is now a full year round program, not just the flagship in July. What it means is really, you know, the opportunity for LGBTQ people to come together, uh, the opportunity for us to be our whole selves, whether that's, uh, you know, just for a moment, for a full hour, for a day, maybe for a whole year. But it's it's the opportunity for us to to just like be our whole selves and not have to apologize for it, not have to explain it, not have to teach people, right? Like we get to just be and just be there and um, and celebrate one another. And it's just, you know, and it's, like I, I think mostly right about the festival and the parade, which are just these absolutely joyous events. And so is SheFest and the flagship event in July, like just just so full of joy and also stress for like the people behind the scenes, right? right? Like, <laughs> but joy mostly. And it's just, it's rare, right? That we get that full unbridled joy. So I think that's what it's about for me. What's about for you, Stace? Yeah, I mean, the thing that keeps me coming back to SheFest, because it is stressful, and I, I live and breathe, I go to sleep thinking about it, I wake up thinking about it. And she has an entire, like, other full-time day job, for the record. Yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
the thing that really like, you know, SheFest represents to me is community. It's just like 100% through and through just community because basically uh, SheFest is 100% volunteer run and operated. And so that means there are all these individuals coming together, trusting one another, working alongside one another and supporting one another to put this thing on. And we are a year round community. So we are, we are, we are going all the time. And so like from that side, it's community. And then when you go to a SheFest event and you see folks, you know, meeting each other for the first time, mingling, laughing, kind of supporting one another. And you see like, even just if the event is for an hour or whether it's a day long event, you see community created. And it's mm -hmm. truly beautiful because we don't always get those opportunities to be in spaces where we are the dominant amount of folks. And mm -hmm. so it's truly beautiful. Uh, to, to have that community created. And that, that is what keeps me going for, for SheFest. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've never been to either SheFest or Pride and have not had an amazing time. <laughs> like, I feel like each time that all of my friends and I go, I've, I always feel like you really feel like the love and acceptance while you're there. And like you said, having everyone be volunteers you know everyone is there and they all want to be there I think that's the biggest thing and you can definitely feel that and I think that's why everyone has so much fun at pride because you can kind of just feel like the friendship and just the overall vibe is very accepting and it's I think that's a, a breath of fresh air for a lot of people and yeah. even I think when you're I think for me being in corporate America and having things like not everyone is out, not everyone feels comfortable communicating, you know, who they are. And I think when you're able to meet people somewhere who are totally themselves and are happy to be themselves, it's a very like, again, it's a breath of fresh air. It's something that's so like beautiful in itself because you don't feel like you're having to hide anything from anyone and everyone's there for a common cause. And I think that's, that's really special. And I think it's, it's amazing what both Pride and SheFest does for everyone, even people who aren't a part of the community. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Thank you. That's really beautiful. Yeah. You don't yeah. have to like have that like educator hat on you know where you're mm -hmm. constantly like battling or trying to like advocate for yourself and like mm -hmm. feel like you're in an unsafe position sometimes and I agree with Rachel like I've always had fun at pride and like mm -hmm. you feel you've it's different you know like even from comic-con I love comic-con but it's like I don't have like some dude like do you even listen to that band? Like, do you even, do you even read those comic books? You know, it's like, okay, dude, yeah, I do. But like at Pride, it's just super fun. And for Rachel and I, we both grew up in Chula Vista. So for both of us, community is super important. And I feel like that extends to this as well. I love that. Yeah. I think, like, yeah, Rachel, I think also what you said about like, kind of just being yourself I think that is a, that is a universal experience right that does not that is not dependent upon your sexual orientation I think we all mm -hmm. want to be ourselves and, and find joy in that and that's mm -hmm. that's mm -hmm. hard especially yeah. women as non-binary folks especially it's it's hard yeah. so, right yeah. and I, you know I think there is a very common thread of like when you have a marginalized community whether it be people of color or the LGBTQ plus community, those people are always so accepting. I think like when you, you know, when you know how it feels to be within those communities, you're way more accepting and more willing to be open-minded. And I think that's, 
I've always enjoyed that aspect of communities like that, because I think, again, it's like the acceptance, like what you said, is just a universal feeling. And it's something that you want to be a part of. And so why not support the LGBTQ plus community in that sense of kind of just the world that we're living in right now and our just them not having the complete support that they should. I think they're one of the most accepting communities. Why not give that back to them? Is kind of like what I'm trying to say. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I know that we we currently have a new progress flag and it includes a couple other communities. And so we would love to hear more about what the flag signifies and kind of who made it and a lot of a lot more about the graphic designer, Daniel. Yeah, so um, the progress flag, and now I'm blanking on what years, just a couple few years ago, uh, Daniel Quasar, uh, who I'm never 100% sure if I'm saying uh, their last name correctly, but I'm Q-U-A-S-A-R, created the progress flag a a couple few years ago um, uh, to be a little bit more intentionally inclusive, right? Like, so the rainbow flag is the traditional uh, traditional being not really even that long, right? Like Gilbert Baker created the original rainbow pride flag 40, maybe 50 years ago at this point. And that is intended to include everybody. And we've also seen that, um, you know, like the rest of the world, as, as accepting and wonderful as the LGBTQ community is, right? Like we do not exist in a vacuum. Um, racism, sexism, transphobia exists within our community as well. And so, you know, we had to have the, the rainbow flag, which is our, our kind of like, has become our traditional LGBTQ flag, right? And then in 2017, Amber Hikes, who was at that time uh, in Philadelphia, released um, what is kind of now known as the Philly flag, which is officially known as the More Color, More Pride flag, which added the black and brown stripes to the rainbow flag, explicitly to be inclusive of and centering people of color who had often been kind of like left out of of a lot of our our movement as we've been going forward, right? San Diego Pride, I think, does a really good job of centering people of color. Our entire staff is like a majority people of color. And when you look at, you know, national like Pride magazines and like Pride promos for like big city Prides, oftentimes you see like ripped white gay men as like the, the, you know, poster child for Pride celebrations, right? And just leaving out all of the rest of us, which are actually the vast majority of the community. So, um, so Amber Hikes created this this flag in 2017 to add the black and brown. It was actually really controversial. People were really angry about it. Um, mostly white people were really angry about it. Um, in in adding those flags, like we don't need this. It's not tradition. Um, and now you mostly just see like uh, either the Philly flag or kind of like the progress flag on all of our lovely rainbow capitalism logos this, uh, this June. And so then a couple of years ago, Daniel Quasar took that um, idea of like, okay, we're adding people of color communities. Um, and we also often as a community kind of leave trans people behind, right? Like in the um, early 2000s, there was this big push for non-discrimination protections um, in a bunch of states and nationally, but it didn't go anywhere, um, that like very intentionally was like, okay, well, we can't get this through with trans people in it, so we're just going to leave them behind, right? Like there was this very intentional, sometimes explicit and intentional, sometimes um, unintentional, but implicit bias, right? Leaving behind of the trans community. So 
that's a long way to say that the progress flag is um, very intentionally inclusive of the trans flag, right, which is the like baby um, blue, um, kind of like light pink and and white and the black and brown stripes as kind of like the little chevron on the left side and then the rainbow um, still right like kind of making up the the rest of the right side of the flag. So I know that also it involves those living with HIV and AIDS and those who have been lost, correct? And do you know if the there's current legislation or anything going on to help provide more resources to the communities that have been added to the progress flag? Yes, I mean, many, yeah, right? Mm-hmm. Like, so, you know, HIV and AIDS um, continues to be this this kind of unspoken quiet pandemic, right? We've gone through this mm-hmm. big pandemic in the last year and a half, and we still haven't, we don't have a, a vaccine for HIV. We don't have a cure for HIV or AIDS, right? Even though we've been, you know, pushing for it for years, but because HIV and AIDS is a pandemic that, you know, we still stigmatize as like the gay cancer, we still don't have the kinds of funds and resources um, like we put into uh, getting a vaccine like within a year and a half for COVID, right? And reality check, right? Like it is not the fastest growing community that has HIV and AIDS is not gay people or men who have sex with men. It is actually like mostly like women of color, heterosexual women of color, right? Who are, are at highest risk for that. So yes, right? Like that's kind of context. So as far as like, legislation or um, any policy that would really kind of push for more resources for people with HIV and AIDS. Minimal, and that's kind of state by state, right? There isn't really a lot happening federally. Mm -hmm. Um, California does pretty well uh, in providing resources, but we absolutely can and need to do more. And then thinking about like, hey, it also includes like um, black and brown folks and trans folks. So we've been through since May of 2020, right? This country has finally been through this long awaited racial reckoning around um, police violence against uh, black people, right? Uh, and, and brown folks too, right? But black men being primarily the, the targets of fatal police violence. There are like great pieces of policy and legislation at the federal level, at the state level, um, federal level, right? We still have a filibuster, so nothing's gonna happen because we're not gonna be able to get to 60 votes. State level, it's really so patchwork state by state um, mm-hmm. um, who's like what states are willing and able to do any policy around that. And then we have a lot of local legislation as well, right? Here in San Diego, there's um, the Coalition for Police Accountability and Transparency uh, that I always, I, I always just use the like CPAT acronym, and then I forget what the word that the letters actually stand for. Um, but CPAT is doing some really great local work uh, to mm-hmm. help kind of really protect black and brown folks. But the main thing that um, we're really kind of thinking about this year and focusing on is is the Equality Act, which would provide those um, federal non-discrimination protections for all lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and queer folks across the country, rather than relying on the, the patchwork of laws that we have across our 50 states right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I saw, so there's a, it's on freedomforallamericans.org. There's a act for equality. And we're going to put this on our link tree for everyone. But yesterday, um, they, you can sign their, um, their forms. And basically, it also can send you send emails to your senators, and it'll give you your phone, the phone numbers to your senators. So I sent them to both mine, Diane Feinstein and Cass, who's the other one? 
He's brand new. Uh, Alex Padilla. He took over. Alex Padilla. Mm -hmm. Yes. So yeah, so we will definitely put that up there as well. Um, Are there other ways that people can help and spread the word about the Equality Act? Yeah. So, you know, I think one of the, the biggest hurdles to getting the Equality Act. It's passed in the in the U.S. House of Representatives, right? so it's passed on that side. It needs to pass mm-hmm. on the Senate side. And we have, you know, a very slim majority of senators that support LGBTQ equality. And what it currently happens in the Senate is that we have the filibuster, right, so that we can't actually get anything through unless we have 60 votes or more, right? It's these like rules that have been um, created and they're honestly not that old, like are just, you know, within the past like 150, 50, 100 years or so um, of kind of things that have created this, this system that makes it impossible to get anything that is deemed controversial through the Senate. But to be clear, the Equality Act is not a partisan issue, right? It's not like, it, there are plenty of Republican folks that do support the Equality Act um, they just don't happen to be in the U.S. Senate, so mm-hmm. um, right. And so there's the other things that that really need to happen are that we have a, a few folks on um, that are in the Democratic caucus that are not yet on board with getting rid of the filibuster. Um, one being actually one member of our own community, Kirsten Cinema from Arizona, um, who is a, an out bisexual. And so I've seen this um, recent really amazing campaign, mostly on Twitter, um, of other bi folks asking, asking Kirsten to like step up and really, you know, be on board so that we can get these, um, these really important pieces of legislation through the US Senate. Because as it is right now, right, like we, we might have a president that cares about LGBTQ people and a majority in the US House and a very slim majority in the US Senate, and we can't do anything about it, right? So, um, so asking you know, these, these people specifically to get on board to end the filibuster is kind of one of the huge things. But then yes, also all of those other things that are on um, that Freedom for All Americans link, you know, calling your senators and getting your friends to also call their senators, right? Like, yes, here in California, we have, uh, you know, some, some privilege of having two people that are 100% on board and are great, right? And we also have friends in theory, right, that are around the country that can call their senators as well, right? So you have Arizona friends, great, have your zonies call Kirsten Cinema. Yeah, I think that's, Honestly, I, it was really easy filling out the form that they have on Freedoms for All Americans. And again, we'll put those on our link tree just so everyone can kind of have those resources. And um, I know, Jen, that you do some advocacy work in um, other states. And just to name, I think it was Kansas, Missouri, Massachusetts, Colorado. Are these states that currently need more legislation to protect the LGBTQ plus community? Oh God, deeply, yes, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Colorado's actually doing pretty well these days. Um, they have a really good like LGBTQ equality majority in um, as like decision makers around around the state. But Kansas, Missouri, South Dakota, definitely right. Like, and and the one thing that I really I just want to say about my time in in the Midwest, um, right? Like, I am in California now, and so I think I definitely have have acclimated. But Midwestern feminists and Midwestern LGBTQ people are some of the fiercest, most badass people I've ever met because you have to be. Mm -hmm. You have to be um, really strong in your beliefs and in your um, sense of self. 
in a way that we don't have to be here in San Diego in a lot of ways, right? Like, in, which is different, right? Like, because we have multiple Californias. So if you're in the Inland Empire or like Central Valley, right? Like it is a very different experience than here in San Diego proper. But yeah, these like um, Kansas, Missouri, South Dakota, um, we're also seeing some really horrendous uh, attacks in, in those three states and in other states, mostly in the Midwest and South, particularly on um, transgender youth attacking either their access to healthcare or um, trans girls' ability to play sports with the actual gender that they identify with, right? So those are, are other huge things that we're keeping an eye on. Freedom for All Americans actually has a really great tracker of what's happening in all of these states and opportunities to engage uh, with your, your own state legislators. Oh, perfect. So we've kind of talked about it throughout this time, but what are the issues that LGBTQ plus women and non-binary folks should be paying attention to right now? And are there any issues that SheFest in particular is going to be highlighting or centering this year? Yeah, I mean, I think Jen kind of just touched on, um, you know, a, a really big one that she yeah. is also kind of paying attention to, and that is the anti-trans legislation that is that is going around. Uh, unfortunately, there there are a lot of folks from our our women's community that are kind of supporting slash backing that legislation, thinking that they're protecting women when really they are doing harm not only to cis women but also non-binary folks and trans folks as well. So that is something we're trying to kind of highlight at SheFest because I do think it's important to not only celebrate what unifies us but also to be clear about what threatens us as a community especially when it's being pushed under the guise of protecting us. So that's a really big one I, I would say. Um, another thing that we're kind of focusing on this year is really just building back together. Uh, COVID has hit all of us, like, you know, every single one of us hard, and it has hit women disproportionately hard, and it has hit small businesses uh, disproportionately hard. So really, when you think of like women who own small businesses, they've been really, really hit. So we're trying really intentionally this year to make sure that we're focusing on helping kind of give a platform to those small businesses so that we can kind of continue to have them in our spaces. Another thing that we're just trying to do is lift our voices, the, the voices of LGBTQ women as experts. I mean, you're both, you're women, you, you know when someone comes through and tries to mansplain something that you just said and a hundred times better to them. <laughs> they will come back and try, it, do, try and do it to you. But we know ourselves to be experts. Like we, you know, but we don't always treat ourselves that way. We don't always uh, go and, and, and function in the public that way. Sometimes we're shy, sometimes we're like, oh, we're deferential but really we are badass experts and so we are trying to uplift the voices of our experts by highlighting uh, this year particularly our organizers, our activists, our small business owners who know about finances, who know about fitness, who know about how to start a small business. So we're really trying to highlight that. And then the last thing we're really trying to highlight this year is joy. Uh, I have a committee member named Shannon who told me like when we were kind of trying to revision ourselves, she said, she's like, you know, Stacy, one of the most radical acts that we as queer women can do is to, is to be joyful. 
to to really just kind of tap into that. She's like, that is a radical act of self-love and we need to do more of that. And that's just hit, that, that hit and has stayed with me ever since. So that is something we also are trying to celebrate this year. Mm-hmm. And Stacey, do you have any advice for people who like how to gauge conversations with those who might not be so open-minded or might not be open to that kind of communication? Yeah, I mean, that's scary. That is, that is, that is a scary act of like kind of, um, that you just don't know what's going to happen, right? So you, I understand wanting to try and like gauge it, whether you're kind of like, should I do this? Should I not do this? When I'm in those situations where I'm trying to be like, ooh, should I or should I not? I try and remember the folks who don't have a choice, that they are thrust into these conversations. And so I try and be like a better ally myself, like, because, you know, I, I have some, some passing privilege that I, within my own community. And I try and kind of take on those conversations because I recognize that there are folks who don't have that opportunity and I don't want them to always have to be the ones to handle these conversations on their own so to me I think it's a a good source of allyship to just jump into the conversation uh, Mm -hmm. if you feel safe enough to do so Um, and if you don't feel safe enough to do so I think it's a a matter of being gentle with yourself and remembering that like yeah maybe there was a conversation that you could have engaged in but you didn't and that's okay like you Mm -hmm. also have to give yourself space and grace to, to just yeah Okay. And kind of on the topic of allyship, um, Jen, I know you brought up rainbow capitalism earlier. Is this, this is something that Cass and I are very interested in hearing more about. Um, how do you guys feel like this is something that harms or benefits the community? Yeah. So, so when we, <clears throat> when we say rainbow capitalism, right, we're, um, I'm specifically talking about like you open up Twitter and every single company corporation, like from uh, Steakum, actually, I don't know, I haven't, but they do have an excellent Twitter, um, right, but from, like, Wendy's to, like, uh, you know, Northrop Grumman, right, has rainbow on their logo, so, um, right, like, they've, they've made their logos rainbow to appeal to the LGBTQ community for Pride Month, um, and, and so that's what I'm, what I'm talking about when I'm talking about rainbow capitalism, so it's, it's both, right, it's both good and also sometimes a little bit of a, of a rainbow washing, right, so, um, so it is great in that I know at all of these companies, right, there are LGBTQ people who work there, and who, so seeing and working towards getting your company to even recognize Pride Month, let alone change your logo to a rainbow can be its own its own struggle, its own fight. We, we work with um, ERGs, employee resource groups year round, right? And they've told us these stories about how difficult it was to get their company to just, just change their logo to a rainbow, right? And having those conversations. So, um, right, like we know that it can be difficult as an LGBTQ person working at these companies. Um, And so seeing that can be really meaningful. Also, right, like if I'm thinking about when I was growing up, if I had gone into Target and seen the like Target Pride collection, which this year is quite questionable fashionably, but um, right, like if I had gone in and seen this like Target Pride collection, I would have been like, okay, cool, great, right? Like here's um, this like easy access to this pride gear, right? Like that is Target is saying like, A, like buy our stuff, but like also like be prideful, right? That is meaningful in itself. And it also doesn't always um, correspond with real change, right? This is when it's, when we call it rainbow washing, right? So 
Um, there are, and you can find this like all over social media. I'm not going to drop any particular company names, but there are companies that, you know, change their logo to rainbow, talk about pride month, buy our new like rainbow, whatever. And they're still bankrolling these legislators that are putting forward this anti-trans legislation. They are still, um, you know, not providing gender affirming care in their insurance plans to their own employees. They are right. Like they're not quite walking the, the talk. They're just talking it because they know they think it'll get them money, right? So it's both and it's both like, yes, visibility is important. The employees at these at these companies do deserve this like welcoming, affirming workspace. And we also need to be looking and, and really holding these companies accountable for what they're they're doing on the other side, right? Like if every single one of these companies who has a rainbow in their logo was also lobbying Congress to get the Equality Act passed, it would have been passed three years ago, right? So like thinking about what are the ways that visibility is important, but still keeping that balance of actual action. Yeah, and it's, it's funny because um, before I was in the position that I'm in now, I'm, I'm not saying I'm for certain type of lobbying depends on the actual company um, and what they're lobbying for. But I didn't realize that every single major company and corporation, they do have lobbyists. They do lobby for so many things. And, you know, I work in healthcare. So me now being behind the scenes, I'm like, well, like I had no idea. Like we actually do have, these companies do have the resources and the tools and the opportunities to lobby for certain things. So I think anyone who's listening, if you are in corporate America, or if you even work for a bigger company, you know, maybe look into that stuff because you might not know that they're investing in lobbyists, but they definitely are. And I think even just knowing that is really important because before a year and a half ago, starting this new position, I had no idea that that was even a thing. And now it's kind of just insane to me that there are companies that are talking the talk but not walking the walk (laughs) yeah I like Um, that you have mentioned that it's just more of like that appeal and I feel I feel a little bit bougie and kind of blessed because I work at Lush so I'm like we're about that like 365 (laughs) you know um but I was talking to Rachel and I was like I'm not gonna lie like I do really enjoy looking at the memes about it and like there was this one where it's like the guy getting kicked off of the airplane and he's like shake my hand shake my hand and it's like the companies like during pride month like we're doing this but it's like no you guys really aren't about it you know but I can see how it is like it's kind of beneficial to have it but at the same time it's like really looking into if this company is just doing this for you know clout and like to appeal um or if they're really truly about making those changes yeah and I know there is um a really big conversation of senators and representatives who um companies who claim to be in support of the LGBTQ plus community who are actually sponsoring and giving money to senators and representatives who are voting against it. So I think that's a big thing to look into as well. I know that um, there are a lot of other things that those senators and those representatives encompass, but at the end of the day, if you're funding somebody who is against something, it's it's very counterintuitive in, in my eyes. Yeah. And, very hypocritical. I mean, what does it mean to kind of be an ally on that conversation? And how can someone be an ally or help the community? Yeah, so one of the the gazillion things I do throughout the year is do like trainings and, um, and presentations for 
all kinds of different people, right? And everyone wants to know, okay, what, what is, what do, what do I do? How do I be an ally? What do I do? And the main thing that I try to really instill in people is that it is not a passive identity. It is not, uh, you're not an ally just because you have a gay friend or you have a trans friend. I'm glad that you are friends with that person. Great, good for you. And being an ally is more than that. It is an active verb. It is like practicing allyship is, is a practice and it is an active thing that you have to continue to do, right? So, you know, it is taking that, you, you do you have the like ear of your um, company's HR person and you, um, somebody has told you that your company's policies are not inclusive of LGBTQ folks, great. Like use your, your particular influence to talk to that HR person, use your position to say the things that are maybe hard to say, right? Don't always leave it to the LGBTQ people you work with or your friends or family to be the ones to be like, hey, Aunt Mary, that's actually really homophobic, right? Like um, it is not like cousin Joan's job to say, uh, as the like the lesbian of the family to be like, hey, actually that's really homophobic, right? It is your job as as Joan's cousin and as an ally to say, hey, Aunt Mary, that thing you said was really homophobic. I learned that this is um, not okay and really hurtful. And I really wanted to share this information with you, right? Mm-hmm. So um, so it's, it's everywhere. It's, it's in your family, it's with your friend groups, it's with your, um, it's at work, right? Um, and so it's, it's taking that active step um, and Stace, I don't know if you have anything to, to say specifically about, you know, being an ally for LGBTQ women or being an ally in, in your workspaces, because you're not necessarily a career queer like I am. No, I mean, I think you, you summed up a lot of, <laughs> a lot of the good stuff there. I mean, I think there are also like what Jen's talking about are, is, is a really crucial component of being an ally. And I think there's a scale, right? It kind of, uh, of how, like, what does allyship look like for you and like when I think of especially and sorry to always come back to SheFest like I said this is exactly like I wake up and go to sleep thinking of SheFest but like also for for allies like you know there's there's something about and I'll link this to the rainbow capitalism conversation we were just kind of having is like you can also just support LGBTQ artists you can support LGBTQ Mm -hmm. businesses we're not only talking about gay things like we are queer folks but we're not always just talking Mm -hmm. about gay things so you as an ally you can spend some of your money you can contribute directly to kind of these people's lives that Mm -hmm. is also a step of allyship and that's one that like so yeah find kind of where you can be on on the scale of allyship and just kind of continue to walk it move up and down it and and go with what feels good to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's, it's really important. I think Cass and I also have been really lucky. Her and I talk about this a lot, but I mean, you guys can probably attest to this is her and I growing up in Chula Vista in a very like diverse area, we were really lucky. So I think to be completely honest, it wasn't until I can only speak for myself, but once I got older and kind of being immerse into other communities and like moving different places, like right now, I currently live in Rhode Island, you know, it's, it's very, it didn't occur to me that these were issues until I was old enough to understand that, you know, living in Chula Vista is a blessing <laughs> and going to Benita and um, Cass went to Olympian. Like we, you know, we were really blessed because we always had people, a part of the community that were a part of our friend groups. I think it's unfortunate that people don't also have that opportunity. And I think it does say a lot for people who like go out of their home states or their hometowns and 
joining different communities. And I know we just hired two interns and I would love to do like a presentation with you on like how to be an ally with us. If you do it with small groups, like I would love to do it with me and Cass and our producer, Alana. And I, you know, I think just having those resources are really important. And, you know, if Cass and I can do anything to help spread that word, like we're happy to do so. Yeah, absolutely. I would love to. Yeah. And so I'll kind of on that topic, if we can't attend Pride this year, which I unfortunately can't because I won't be in San Diego, um, what are other things that I can do or other people can do to help celebrate? Yeah, so um, the cool and also very stressful thing about 2021 is that we're still in this hybrid space where, you know, last year we were 100% virtual and so because we could not be together at all. This year, California is reopened and it's still not 100% safe for everybody, right? Mm -hmm. And so we are doing, um, we're in this hybrid space, which A, like as organizers, is hella stressful and um, will end up being really beautiful. So we, uh, a lot of our Uh, Some of our events are 100% virtual. Some of our events are are simultaneously live streamed. So, you know, you can be anywhere in the world and watch um, San Diego's Pride Live on Saturday, July 17th in the morning here, whatever time it is, wherever you are, right? Or you can uh, watch our Spirit of Stonewall rally on Friday the 16th is going to be in person, but it will also be live streamed at the same time. So mm-hmm. um, so we're doing these, um, a, 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 some of our events are going to be both. Um, some are 100% in person, some are 100% virtual, um, right? So, uh, so you don't have to be in any one particular place. And I think that's mm-hmm. been one of the really beautiful lessons of the pandemic is that we've all, you know, lessons that to be clear, people with disabilities have been asking us to learn for years and we're finally getting there and um, making things more accessible through different avenues, right? If you can't be at a place in person, how do you how do you celebrate? And so there's these cool like virtual pride celebrations that are still happening this year that I think and hope will continue to happen um, as we go forward. But there's also like, you know, small things that you can do to help celebrate, like have a little like dance party with some LGBTQ artists uh, playing on a playlist in your house, right? San Diego Pride has a has a playlist out on our, um, our little Spotify channel thing uh, this year of like queer artists, not just for, that are, we're featuring this year, but from previous years as well. Like you can uh, go patronize the um, local LGBTQ bar in your space or, uh, or just get takeout from them and like have a little party at home, right? So mm-hmm. Um, you know, there are, there are actually only 21 uh, women's bars, LGBTQ women's bars left in the country. Um, San Diego has one of them, shockingly enough. All right. So we have Gossip Grill. So like get takeout from Gossip or go to Gossip and um, enjoy, right? Like find the, the women's bar in your area and go patronize them, right? Like there's so many ways to really kind of like celebrate LGBTQ joy and resilience. And mm-hmm. it doesn't have to look like a parade and festival. Well, I will definitely be doing some of those. And I'm personally sending you guys my RSVP for next year because I'm hoping that we'll be in person and I will be back in San Diego then. So Amazing. I'm excited yeah, for that. So <laughs> um, and then I'm just super excited to know this too, but when is San Diego Pride and She Fest this year, Stacy? Yeah, so She Fest, like I said, it kind of, it kicks off San Diego's Pride Week. So we, uh, SheFest is on Saturday, July 10th. 
And what we're doing this year, kind of as, as Jen said, is we are offering a hybrid celebration because we do want to be able to reach out to the folks who maybe are not super comfortable coming out uh, in person yet or just can't for any or matter. Or live in Rhode Island. Or live in Rhode Island, exactly. <laughs> that is a long trek. I do not blame you for not wanting to take that right now. But, uh, yeah, so we've got streaming content from 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. on uh, Saturday the 10th. And then we've got our in-person event going on from 1 to 6 p.m. in Hillcrest, in the neighborhood. Uh, and we, we moved there this year because we wanted to enforce some COVID precautions. So uh, that's what we're, we're focusing on this year. And then, you know, that happens on Saturday the 10th. And then the following weekend is kind of like these amazing dispersed pride events, uh, because obviously pride can't do the big flagship of, that they usually do the, the big march, or I'm sorry, the big uh, parade and the big festival. So what they're doing this year is they've got all their like affinity groups doing these smaller events at different locations that are really allowing for like deliberate, unique celebrations. Uh, and they're a little bit more COVID safe as well. Yeah. yeah. And then yeah. I can't forget, and I, and I did, your, your big baby this year. Go ahead. So, right, as I was talking about earlier, the roots of pride are in protests and marches and taking to the streets. Um, and what it usually looks like in like a normal year, right, is a big parade instead, right? Which is, um, you know, still with our roots, but, but it looks a little different. But this year in 2021, because we can't do a parade, um, we are really deeply going back to our roots and we are doing just like straight up protest march. So um, that is gonna be on July 11th. Uh, we'll meet in Balboa Park and we'll march to Hillcrest. Um, so it's about like a mile and a mile, mile and a half. Um, it's basically the parade route, but backwards. Um, and uh, it's, gonna be super exciting. I'm in charge of the megaphone squad. So I have yes. some <laughs> Yeah, so it's, um, I'm really stoked to go to really like dig deep back to our roots this year. Um, it feels really good to, to just to do like a march and just be all together in that way yeah. yeah and we would we uh alex would probably hate us if we didn't drop the uh you can find all the events that are happening on pride week at sdpride.org because there's so many of them that we could not we could not tell you all no. of them but they're all so worth looking at because it mm -hmm. truly is like a um a beautiful opportunity to really tap into um like a segment of your community yeah yeah mm -hmm. yeah and they're dispersed around the county right so yeah. like we usually get so focused in hillcrest in the neighborhood and so doing these smaller events right like we have some stuff in like east county and in um barrio logan and in um out in ramona and so it's yeah it's it's gonna be pretty great I love that you're expanding not just in Hillcrest, um, but like in other areas too. Do you guys have um, specific links or anything that you guys want to add to our link tree? We're happy to do that. We have the Act for Equality form to support the Equality Act for everybody. And um, we'll definitely put San Diego's Pride on there as well. Yeah. So yeah. Thank you so much for coming, you guys. We honestly, this is a really great episode. Yeah. I think this was a lot of fun. And I'm I'm honestly so sad that I'm not going to be in San Diego for this. But I will definitely do a lot of the hybrid ones, kind of do everything that I can to support. Yes, yeah. amazing. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for the opportunity to to speak with you all. And thank you for doing the podcast that you do. I think we are, we are very much in in line with one another and wanting to kind of uplift women's voices. And I think that's mm -hmm. so important. So thank you for, 
for sharing your platform and for doing what you do. It's equally mm -hmm. important. So thank you. Yeah, no, this is why we do it. We're, we're so grateful to have you guys here. And I think this, this podcast has been just like a great opportunity to like be more involved in the community. And even though I'm not physically there, I think, you know, this is something that's so important to Cass and I, and then just, you know, networking and making new friends is amazing. And we're, we hope maybe when I go back to San Diego, I'll be there maybe August or something, we can all meet up in person or, oh, you know. Yeah. Get yeah, some lunch at um, Gossip Grill. Yes. <laughs> well, thank being you. so transparent and open, yeah. and yeah, and and being educators, you know, I learned so much just um, from this, and I definitely want to carry it and use my voice however I can. Amazing. All right, thank you, you guys. This is so much fun. Yeah. Thank you. Yes. Thank mm -hmm. you guys. Talk to you soon. Thank you guys. Bye, y'all.